everybody, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite summer, now turned fall podcast of Summer Forecast High of 70s, a show where we are documenting my own personal journey as a 25-year-old male um, discovering this musical genre of 70s folk rock for the first time uh, and how fun it has been. And we're back for some more stuff. We're excited for this episode. And alongside me, of course, as always, is our beloved co-host, Nate. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing so great, Tyler. I have had um, a wonderful three days. I had this little fuzzy spider that was in my car. Um, and every time I got in it for the last three days, he was like on my steering wheel or on my um, like uh, dashboard and stuff like that. And it was like, hey buddy, how you doing? Um, and then this morning I was getting stuff out of the passenger side of my car and he was on the car door and I thought, oh, this is probably an opportunity for me to gently put him on the ground so he can survive. Cause I don't know how good the eating was for spiders in my car, yeah. but it was a, it was a bittersweet moment because we had a lot of laughs and a lot of good times over the last three days together. But this morning I sent him away to procure more sustenance than my car can provide. Yeah. Kudos to you for just not swatting him the first time. That's. Oh no, man. He's, I, I am a huge supporter of spiders i only kill them when it's like my wife insists and there's no like other viable option for me to do so because they are they're a helpful part of our ecosystem (laughs) yeah like right when they once they reach the size of a quarter they're starting to get questionable when they're like a 50 cent piece they they gotta go no man like that's just they're gonna eat bigger bugs for you that's like you need to You need to understand their their role in the food chain. Uh, yeah, if they get big enough that they could eat you, yeah, it's probably time for them to go. But <laughs> you know, spiders. Hey, I, they. I'll have to say, you know, you always see that you that their web is like super powerful. It's as strong as steel. If steel was like the same consistency, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we we had this cobweb in the corner of our ceiling, and I remember watching this just happened recently. A stink bug was flying around the house. And so I'm trying to trace it to catch the stink bug to get it out, right? Uh And it flies directly into this cobweb. And like this thing's, you know, it's buzzing around full speed, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. It hits the cobweb and it instantly stops. Like it just caught it. And for whatever reason, that really blew my mind. I grew in some more respect for spiders there. But enough about arachnids. Let's, Let's talk about our artist of the day, which we were very excited to being discussed and that is the great gordon lightfoot this folk artist that um you know has had such a long um career his catalog expands over four decades um, and he continues to mold and adapt as the time changes and yet he continues to release good music um all the way up until uh, this most recent summer he released an album this year just a couple months ago so this guy yeah, he was scheduled to go on tour this year, uh, and they obviously got postponed and canceled this tour uh, because of COVID concerns. But yeah, he, he's still doing his thing, man. And he's 80. He's 80. He's just like, he's really, he, he loves music. and he's just He has 10 years for every leg of a spider. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're excited to be discussing him just because his music has been... Um, so fun to listen to in preparation for this episode he has been one of the um couple artists that we've done on the show that i really had no previous knowledge of i 
remember mentioning them to my mom and she of course was like oh I had some of his 45s and I loved listening to his music which only continues to baffle me as to how my mom knows and loves all these artists but decided to never <laughs> play them in the house so <laughs> but you know it is what it is so anyway without any did further, she ever uh, did she ever play any Van Halen for you bro Oh yeah, like I we would listen to we would listen to uh you know, 80s pop rock all the time in the house, but the 70s folk got the miss. As we do with most of our episodes, we're going to toss it back to Nate when we're discussing Gordon Lightfoot for Nate's first thoughts. I'd love to hear just what you think about when you started listening to his music um, and what stands out to you. Um yeah, Gordon Lightfoot is uh, one of those incredibly talented Canadian artists. Uh, we've we've talked about a couple of them, Joni Mitchell um, and um, Neil Young, Young on yeah. this podcast. Not Neil Diamond. Not Neil Diamond. And uh, he he um, he's kind of like a hero even among folk legends, right? So. Um, we, we have talked about at length in this podcast that all these artists cover one another's songs. Uh, there was a, a whole cohort of them that hung out with each other all the time. Um, they, they were very like a big fans of one another's music. Um, but, you know, Lightfoot is like uh, an inspiration even to that cohort. So um, Bob Dylan, who, who we're not covering on, on this podcast because he kind of deserves his own podcast and um, he kind of transcends uh, some of the boundaries of 70s folk that we want to cover in this podcast. But he is kind of it when it comes to um, songwriters, American songwriters. Uh, Rolling Stone has him listed as the number one greatest songwriter of all time. Uh, number yeah. two and three are Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, and Bob Dylan reveres uh, Gordon Lightfoot. So yeah. he, you know, he, there's, so, there's so many quotes of him just feeling like Gordon Lightfoot is his hero. So I, to me, that's, that's so substantial. Um, the way his music sounds is a lot more um, traditional than I think um, some of the folk artists that we have listened to. Um, some of them kind of dive into flirting with pop, flirting with country, flirting with uh, rock for sure in the case of Crosby, Stills, uh, Nash & Young. But Lightfoot certainly pulls from different influences, but the way he structures his songs, the way uh, he delivers them, it's, it's, um, it's kind of just this wonderful, wonderful experience. And his for sure is the, um, the melody of the song, the, the, the gift of his voice and the significance of the lyrics are all 10 out of 10, right? <laughs> like yeah. you think of his stats sheet um, and he, he's just, he's just coming with amazing and he's a grinder you know like we've talked about some of these folks they have decades worth of um songs on their discographies and lightfoot's certainly no exception to that rule he's written over 400 songs um his songs have been covered by hundreds and hundreds of artists yeah. 
Um, so when you have someone who has been around that long at that talent level that is universally respected as much, you know you're just dealing with the heaviest hitters um, that, that music can put together. It's, it's wonderful. His music is deceptively accessible mm. in that you can groove to it on a first listen, but you're never going to love it and understand it fully until you get to the 20th, 30th listen, you know? Yeah. It just keeps inviting you to more. Uh, it, it's all very, very good. Later on in this episode, we're going to be discussing his uh, great album, Sundown, which came out in 1974. And um, at the time that that album came out, he was already a very well-established artist, right? A lot of the artists that we've been covering on this show, um, we've been discussing one of their first albums where they're really just coming onto the scene. This Sundown album that we'll be discussing came out in 74, which it is, you know, viewed to be his most critically successful, um, his most well-polished, his most, you know, it's a very well-produced album, um, which, it, and it's so starkly different from stuff that came before. But I mean, his first album, Lightfoot, came out in 1966, and he released an album every year um, until that. So like, uh, Sundown was his ninth album. So, you know, he's very well established, very, uh, has a strong foothold in the music scene. And so many of his songs that have lasted the test of time, just, you know, to be seen as his top tracks, even today, uh, were for, from some of those earlier albums. And so, absolutely, um, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind, especially once we get to that later conversation discussing Sundown is that at that point, Gordon had already been making music and making good music for a long time prior to that. Yeah, in fact, in 75, the year after this Sundown album comes out, he releases a compilation album called Gord's Gold that has all of his top songs yeah. uh, up until that point in his career. And it's 22 songs long. <laughs> so um, up until that point, um one year after sundown comes out he he's got 22 songs worth of stuff that he thinks this is the best of who i am yeah and they're all bangers so yeah he he is probably uh more associated with a 60s folk music uh scene um as far as one of those pioneers but yeah by the by the time he's releasing his ninth studio album he's still having incredible commercial success. So, I mean, you just think about that. Like who, what artist do you know on album number nine is peaking? You know, yeah. like that is, that is very rare. Yeah. And I think that's a great uh, point that you just mentioned there, because I really think that that's something that we should highlight here is that this podcast is discussing the specific genre of 70s folk rock, right? We've talked about in some of those earlier episodes, the blending of the rock influence from the British invasion and, mm -hmm. you know, the traditional American folk sound. Um, and if you listen to Gordon's music in the sixties, very, very, very much so a product of the time, right? Very stripped down, very acoustic, even just in content, he's telling stories, he's singing songs about traveling. Like he, you know, he's, he is a folk artist. And by the time we get to sundown, like I said, it's, it's, more, it's more produced, it's more polished. He's adding some of those electric instruments into it. And that album really is a great example 
of what folk rock actually is. It's a, it's a folk artist that is adapting. Um, and he just did it so well. You know, so many times we see artists just trying to stay relevant um, and it's outside of their wheelhouse and, you know, they should have stopped while they're ahead. But he was able to um, see the change in the tides and be able to adapt in a way that just really such good music. Um, but I do think that's really important to point out because up until that point, he was just, he was a 60s folk artist. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that, the, the flavor of his music, yeah, is a little bit, um, it's certainly connected. There's a thread connecting him with the other artists we've had on this podcast. Um, but it's also kind of distinct from, um, not to say that he doesn't use a full band or that there aren't, you know, electric instruments, but the vibe of it and the feel of it doesn't seem to be coming from a place of, um, yeah, that like love and peace and, um, and rock that dominated so much of the seventies culture. Uh, you think of the Woodstock kind of like, um, conversant music. Yeah. Not that, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sure Lightfoot could have played at, at Woodstock and fit right in. But it seems like, well, I mean, I think we can clearly say, and because we've talked about all these artists, um, those artists were amazing, um, very talented, and very combustible, right? Like yeah. they, they, um, their band split up. They were had all kinds of issues. They had tons of personal problems, um, and not to say that Lightfoot didn't live like a perfect, squeaky clean life. But again, we've got forty years worth of consistent yeah. songwriting here so what he's doing is different um, than what some of the other artists that we we talked about are doing yeah i agree and i think one thing um that really stands out to me when listening to his music both you know uh, his earlier stuff and even some of his later stuff he has two very distinct sounds that he does very well right um he has like this folk acoustic you know like uh, country even sometimes i feel like drifts into some of the bluegrass area mm -hmm. just like some really quick banjo riffs um to where he's almost sounding like hank williams you know like just like this really yeah. country folky and then my goodness he brings in like a string package and like this just just is able to belt out these different love ballads and like he has some of his songs in the 60s that Again, it sounds like he's almost Frank Sinatra, like this guy can sing. And his yeah. ability to do both of those genres, one, put them on the same album, but do that consistently year after year, he really does have a country vibe and then like a very uh, soft romantic love ballad side as well. And he does both of those songs and those types of songs very well. Yeah, he's one of these guys that is playing... Um kind of commercial accessible um music but he is he really understands music he's classically trained yeah he was a composer he he wrote a song jingles uh for commercials mm. uh he was a part of choirs uh and when he writes songs he writes the notations on a musical score sheet uh so this is a guy who yeah, like some of uh, like a couple of the artists we've talked about in this podcast, 
they're not just, uh, you know, he was a kid and he picked up learning guitar and, you know, he had a knack for finding melodies and, you know, mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. This is not some guy dinking around on the fretboard finding chords that sound cool. This is a person who understands music, right? Yeah. Uh, like inside and out. And he's, yeah, like, again, he's, he's operating with a high degree of technical competency while also writing songs that are very appealing um, to a broad market. So yeah, really, really talented dude. Yeah, and what I really loved about a lot of his songs that you'll hear both on Sundown, the album that we'll discuss, and also just, you know, a lot of his folk albums that came before, um, he's, he's a very, uh, he writes his, his, you know, sappy love songs in, in a different way, lyrically, right? So like mm -hmm. I said, there's these two different genres in terms of sound, whether it's folky or whether it's more, uh, more of a ballad. But the way that he writes his, his love songs, it's, there's a level of authenticity in there that I just really, really love because it's not that he's revealing too much of himself or too much of the relationship, um, but it's just the fact that like a lot of these songs um, are, you know, today artists, they make their money on breakup songs, right? And I feel like that's been going on for, for decades. You, you want to write um, this angry breakup song for whatever reason. And his songs are definitely in that same circle, but they're not vindictive. Like he's not right. mad. He, his, his lyrics almost like reveal um, his own faults, like his own shortcomings, right? And like, I think it's an interesting take on, you know, love and breakup songs where like, instead of getting mad and wishing harm on the other person, a lot of his songs, he kind of just blames himself. Um, and it was, I thought that was just such an interesting take with his lyrics. Yeah, that totally comes through. Even, even in interviews, uh, I was reading an interview that he did with Vanity Fair in like 2011, I don't know. And um, they were asking about a song uh, that he wrote early on um, in his career. And he was like, oh yeah, that, that's a terrible song. <laughs> and they were like, well, mm. what, what do you mean? And he's like, uh, it was a song about being over your, your, your ex. And he's like, I was married at the time. Like, I don't, he said, I don't even sing that song anymore. And they're like, what? That was like a, a really great song that you wrote. And he's like, yeah, I, I don't sing that song anymore because I don't really like the place that it was coming from. Mm. He's like, can you imagine being married and singing a song on stage about um, having completely pushed out your ex from your life and stuff? And so I was like, that's, you know, for him, he has this weird dichotomy uh, that we talk about later with, with Doug and Madison about so much of him comes through his music yeah that he actually can't divorce himself from the the songs and yet there's this strong sense that he's still holding back you know mm. uh who who he really is and what's really going on and so yeah it's that push and pull that i think makes his music so uh addictive you know um that you feel like you're getting these really penetrating insights but there's also a sense of, but he still has more and he's still not sharing it all. So there's mystery there. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's kind of, um, he, he, yeah, to your point, he definitely th thinks about what could I have done differently rather than I can't believe this person did this to me. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of yeah a lot of his songs are like that they're introspective they invite the listener to consider a different perspective uh put themselves in a situation um that they otherwise would not have kind of inserted themselves into he transports you lyrically yeah. to the land that you did not know existed yeah so let's uh let's slightly transition that instead of you know just talking around them uh maybe get into some specifics of different songs do you have uh, some like favorite tracks outside of the sundown album uh that you know really stuck out to you as we listened this these last couple weeks yeah i mean everybody ought to love if you could read my mind and yeah. the wreck of edmunds fitzgerald uh those are probably uh other than sundown and carefree highway those are probably his most known songs um, but there's a lot of other, I mean, he's got, again, it's like his, his discography is so, so massive. Um, and we could probably trade songs back and forth. I love his version of me and Bobby McGee, a song uh, written by Chris Christopherson and made famous by Janis Joplin. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot has a version of that song that I think is awesome. The Canadian Railroad Trilogy. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah, Canadian Railroad Trilogy. Um, folks in Canada consider that a unofficial national anthem. They're so proud of that song. <laughs> yeah, um, so funny. So, yeah, I mean. I feel like a lot of this, of some of his music, especially as it drifts more into that country version, is like right up your alley. Growing oh, yeah. up in Appalachian, Ohio. Right? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. I, I was thinking about that in the, you know, in the days leading up to this where I'm like, man, I bet you some of the songs that don't really vibe with me in style, I bet are really hitting Nate in the, in the feels. Yep. Yep. It's good. The Wreck of the Edmund Fitch Trail, that's a very typical, you know, folk song telling mm -hmm. a story. Uh, and, you know, that is good. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it was a good song. I thought he wrote it well, but it's not quite as it doesn't grab me as some of his other songs do yeah you have to just surrender to the story yeah. it's six and a half minutes long with no chorus no like <laughs> no repeating um like thing that you come back to um I, it made me think of bob dylan's story of the hurricane only without a chorus, you know, like mm -hmm. that song just goes on and on and on forever. It's got like 15 verses and you're like, good Lord, Bob. Um, it's, it's the same with this one. It's like, it's, it's basically um, a short essay put to music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But some of the tracks that really, really stuck out to me, of course, if you could read my mind, I love that that one got as popular as it did, as it did, because again, that's like what we were just talking about, a very self-reflective uh, breakup song. Um, and I like that it got popular because, again, he's blaming himself in this song. And so I'm glad that people were able to resonate with that instead of always blaming others. Uh, some of his stuff in the 60s that I really, really loved, he had this song off of his 1968 album called Did She Mention My Name? Um, and the song is entitled The Last Time I Saw Her. And that yeah, song, you, you sent me that and it is real good. Yeah, that song I have just been kind of obsessed with over the last week. Our guest later on the show, Doug, he's an older fellow who grew up with this music and he pointed me in that direction. And I'm so thankful he did because that is 
again, one of these love ballads that he sings that are, uh, it's very not folky. It's very much so a product of the time. As a guy who myself grew up throughout my whole childhood listening to, um, you know, just oldies with my grandparents like Neil Diamond. And again, I mentioned Frank Sinatra earlier. That is um, such a typical sounding song from the time with the strings coming in and the flowing piano. But Gordon's voice just soars through the, the choruses there. And man, the lyrics are just so powerful um, and just so beautifully written. It really reveals a poetic side to him that um, we don't necessarily, um, I guess, you know, like some of the other songs are just, you know, more folky and just telling stories and they're fun, but that really reveals himself as a poet. Um, and I, and they really resonate with me. And then I would say a couple others that stood out to me was, again, in that same year, he, in 1968, he released his two albums because he's, he's a workaholic. Um, but they're both so good. And on his other album, Back Here on Earth, he, he released two songs called The Circle is Small um, and The Affair on 8th Avenue. And both of those songs are, The Affair on 8th Avenue is obviously pretty straightforward with its title. Um, he's singing about uh, a breakup. But um, similarly, in The Circle is Small, he's singing about his partner cheating on him. And he finds out because like, this, the circle we run around in is small and, and, um, and like he can, he can tell without her even saying anything. Um, and so I don't know. I just think it's some of those songs where like I'm always going to resonate with those more so than I'm going to with like the country side of folk just because like uh, that's not really my bag. But like hearing some of these like really emotional love songs, whether they're good or bad they really stuck out to me and I thought they were some great songs. Yeah. Honestly, the, again, a thing that you can't necessarily always say about every artist with, you know, almost 20 CDs worth of music. Yeah. There is a song or two on every album that you will love. Yeah. So, so like, yeah, good luck taking that much volume of incredible music and narrowing down your very favorites. But um, yeah, every, at least every CD has one or two songs that are just incredible. Yeah. Cool. So let's uh, wrap up this conversation then uh, with uh, the topic that we always do, where we talk about um, where to hear them now. It's a segment where Nate pulls out some of more contemporary artists that you can hear some traces of the sound. And so what do you have for us today, Nate? Artists who you can kind of pick out Gordon Lightfoot's influence. Two guys that I thought of that kind of have that some of the aspects of, of who Gordon Lightfoot is, is the first is Glenn Hansard. So uh, he is a Irish singer songwriter. Um, he used to be in a rock band in the 2000s called the frames. Um, he kind of came onto the folk music scene through a movie that um, he starred in uh, called once uh, it was a story about an Irish busker, which is what he is. Um, and the the soundtrack of that movie is probably one of the best listens you can ever enjoy. Um, that's a plug for that. But he, he has since uh, written a lot of music. And so this is what, uh, this is a Dylan quote, Bob Dylan said about Gordon Lightfoot. He said, I always felt like one 
balladeer with a, an acoustic guitar could blow an entire army off the stage if they knew what they were doing. Wow. And he said, Gordon Lightfoot is one of those guys. And I get a sense from that. I saw Glenn Hansard in, co- in concert probably about a decade ago. And the very first song he did, he just came out in front of the curtain, just completely by himself. We were in an amphitheater in Cleveland. There was a spotlight on him. He was not plugged in. And, there, uh, and he just came out to the front and he sang this song to a room of a thousand people completely acoustically with just him and his guitar and he floored us you know and so yeah. that's kind of I get that sense of Gordon Lightfoot the other artist is William Fitzsimmons um kind of a dark moody broody breakup song guy um <laughs> his okay. music is way darker than um Gordon Lightfoot Gordon Lightfoot is melancholy but there's there's threads of hope woven through uh, Fitzsimmons is just music you listen to if you want to cry. Yeah. Um, but that sense of really um, sharing who he is and some of his failures. Um, he wrote one of his albums, uh, I think it's called After Goodnight or something like that, as he's going through a divorce with his wife. And it's, it's just really emotionally charged and powerful. So those are the two guys that I would say I get glimpses of part of who Gordon Lightfoot is through their music yeah that's really good um and one that came to mind for me um even though it's not necessarily contemporary I thought it was funny because in doing preparation for this show I saw that uh one of Gordon Lightfoot's peers I guess definitely came afterwards but um uh a little bit older of an artist that just really uh thinks so highly of Gordon is that of Jimmy Buffett Mm-hmm. Um, who just like he really loves him and uh, it's funny to me of just like how much of a cult following Jimmy Buffett has similarly to like what you were saying with Bob Dylan and and uh, Jimmy Buffett has this quote that says um, I've spent my entire career trying to write a song as good as Gordon Lightfoot and uh, and so I just think that's so funny because he has obviously blown up to levels way higher than Gordon Lightfoot um, but him being able to pull that back and uh, you will find if you listen to uh, this album sundown that we'll later discuss, I knew this quote going in uh, to listening to the music and instantly somewhere USA, I was like, Oh, Uh Jimmy Buffett pulls from this (laughs) for sure. You know, like it was just like instantly uh, it caught me and I was like, that's so funny. Like, of course that's the influence right there. Yeah, I I love that. And I love that song in particular. Um, There was a time uh, in in country music, um, thinking like Roy Rogers kind of era music, where country had this kind of like uh, love relationship with kind of like Hawaiian influences. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Like country was so interesting at that time. Roy Rogers as an artist was so interesting because he would bring in some like yodeling stuff too and country and this whole and it just kind of and that's what is kind of that vibe almost is coming through on somewhere usa as well as jimmy buffett's music there's kind of this like country island music yeah and to think yeah like we're saying this is one song from one album he's he's pulling from so much other places you know he sounds way more rootsy and other places he sounds uh, like he is in rock some places he's he's dealing with and influencing with kind of 80s synth stuff so I mean there's just so much 
Yeah. Um, he 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 uses every color on his like palette and makes incredible music with it. Yeah, which that you know I think that's a great place to end. It just shows how good Gordon is at being able just to pull from all these different influences in these different places, and just shows his level of skill as an artist. Um, and so we strongly recommend you to check out his all of his music because truly his catalog is very impressive. Um, but we also encourage you to stick around. We'll be right back where we are joined by our guest to talk about his most successful album in Sundown, which came out in 1974, um, where we really picked that apart and uh, strongly suggest you give that a listen as well. So we'll be right back. Stick with us. super excited to have our two guests with us here today uh two great friends of nate and i's one of the first is our dear friend douglas whom is close with both nate and myself um we we, we love him a lot he's a great character and he's one of the the uh older fellas who brings the sage wisdom to this show so we're happy to have you how are you today dougie i'm good how are you today ty i'm doing i'm doing great it's been a great day been a great day thank you for being on how was, how was work it was great. Work was Good. a great day. It went well. Good. And our second of two guests is one of my absolute bestest friends, and we're so thankful that she's here. Uh, joining us all the way from the great state of Idaho is uh, our dear friend, Madison. How are you today, Maddie? I'm doing well, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Good. Yes, I'm stoked you're here. And, of course, we have Nathaniel with us, which, you know, He's Still always here. here. He's the constant. Here. We love him. Yes. They're deplorable. Yes. That's right. I'm so uh, called many things by many people. So we are here uh, today, obviously, to discuss this great piece of work, which is Gordon Lightfoot's album, Sundown, um, mm-hmm. which has, you know, really been kind of the main focus of, of his career. It's definitely his most, uh, his biggest commercial success as an album as a whole. Um, and so, you know, I just want to start off by talking about our first impressions that we had the album and, you know, or just with the artist as in general. Um, so, Madison, we'll start with you, uh, mostly because I feel like I owe you an apology because unbeknownst to y'all, Madison's actually the first person that introduced me to Gordon Lightfoot like a number of years ago in college. Really? Yeah, uh, it is. It's true. She uh, and you never listened, did you? I did not. She came home one day to her apartment so giddy because she she got a handful of records from this old like vinyl store in town. And uh, she came home so excited and I saw that she had records. And so I was excited for her because I was like, oh, what are we going to listen to? Uh, And they were all Gordon Lightfoot. And I was so instantly disappointed because I had no idea who he was. I didn't know about you. I like you even better now. She was so excited, and I was like, why did you buy these things? No one knows who this guy is. Uh, and here we are, years later, our lives have come full circle. So I, I genuinely apologize for that. I did not heed your advice. Um, so, But, you know, Madison is someone who is my age and who has, Old is- has grown up listening to Gordon Lightfoot's music. And so I would love to hear, Maddie, just like what your – uh, what first comes to mind when you think of Gordon Lightfoot and his music and, um, you know, your thoughts and first impressions on uh, this album and as a specific work? 
Well, I honestly forgot about that little story. Um, but that was but it's true. I know. I didn't know that I was the first <laughs> to introduce you, but um, that's really cool that you know him now because of me. Um, and it's okay that you didn't really heed my advice because I know that um you know he's an older he's an older artist uh but I love Gordon Lightfoot because I grew up listening to him like from my childhood childhood my parents used to put me to bed um listening to Gordon Lightfoot as like a way to you know wind down I don't know if are you your parents it. Canadian by any chance no <laughs> they're not <laughs> they are what is from- that all about? what's that what is that all about <laughs> He's such a treasure in Canada. I thought maybe I like it was a national no. thing, but no. They are from Buffalo, so that more is pretty much Canada. region. We don't like actually Canada. always claim Buffalo yeah. in the United States. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like Canada Junior, so maybe yeah. that's why. Um, but no, they did. They put me to bed to Gordon Lightfoot, um, and I listened to Gordon Lightfoot every night when I would go to sleep from the age of like three or four until honestly like 13 or 14 <laughs> every night amazing. every night yep amazing. I had a little cd player next to my bed on my nightstand and I had a nice array of um Gordon <laughs> CDs believe it or not and um I don't know why they chose Gordon Lightfoot but that is what they put me to bed to and then I was just so used to it that it just stuck so I'm probably the only nine-year-old who has ever gifted a Gordon Lightfoot CD from Santa. But nice. um, I do, I am a fan. I'm a true fan. But when I hear his music now, it really is like very nostalgic for me, which is kind of funny because like I wasn't alive when he yeah. was you know, in his prime. Um, but I am, like, I do get a little nostalgic because I think about um, like growing up and kind of even though I would listen to music like when I was falling asleep like I still think of you know what I was like when I was that age and like some of the fondest like memories I have as a child like I don't know it just brings some of that stuff back to me um so I do enjoy Gordon Lightfoot um and when I heard this album and I really listened to it all the way through I think my first thoughts were like that it was very mellow. It's a nice, like, chill album to listen to. Um, but I think that, like, something that's really cool about him is that he is such a great storyteller in his songs and his music. Um, and if you really, like, on the surface, um, he's a wonderful, like, guitar player, musician, um, and plays, like, really great melodies. But, like, when you really listen to his words and his lyrics, I think he's a really great storyteller. So I kind of was thinking about that as I listened through this album too. Yeah, no, that's really good. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, Dougie, as we mentioned before, you were somebody, you know, that spent your adolescence listening to Gordon's uh, music. And in preparation for this episode, you and I have had many uh, conversations just about what his music has meant to you. And so I'm curious one, what like your overall thoughts are of like his music, but two specifically in 2020, as you like listen to the Sundown album in preparation for this episode, how does that similar to what Madison was talking about, knowing that music has the power of 
nostalgia and bringing back things. What what did it do for you um, when you were preparing for this episode, listening to his music? Um, well, it one thing listening to this um, this album, it reminded me that Gordon Lightfoot is like a legitimate folk artist. Mm. Um, <clears throat> he uh, like this album covers train songs, it covers ship songs. It covers plight of the common man and it covers tragic love. And that is like, if that's not the like typical lexicon for a folk singer and also the forms of his songs, um, the way they, you know, roll off and the way they rhyme or don't rhyme is all pretty typical folk stuff. Um, also that the two most popular songs on this album, uh, carefree highway and sundown are probably the least folk of the songs mm. that are on this album. Um, I thought in particular, the one um, that's at the end, Too Late for Prayer, Too Late for Praying. Mm-hmm. Um, that gave me some pause as I, I listened to it because I, I heard today a little bit in it, um, kind of this feeling of hopelessness. Is it too late? Is it, um, you know, is praying going to do anything, any good for the plight that people seem to be mm. in these? Um, yeah. <clears throat> I will tell you, Gordon Lightfoot, for me, uh, the two songs that really were most impacting to me would be, uh, if I could read your mind, love Maddie. How about that one? Huh? I love that one. And the granddaddy of all of them is a record of the Ed- Edmund Fitzgerald for me. Um, because when we, when, so I was, uh, I was 12 when this album came out, people, I was just, I was 12. Uh, <clears throat> so Maddie, you were a baby during the reruns and mm-hmm. I was 12 already when the first, when it first came out. But you got to remember this, this was a time when we didn't have, like the news came on twice at night and you had 30 minutes to get all the news in uh, and that would be local and national, right? Um, and you didn't have social media. So this story of uh, Edmund Fitzgerald that came out uh, and you know, it wasn't like a story of pirates and old people. This was a story that was recent. It was like a couple years old of these people being in Lake Superior and, and this ship wrecking. And I was like, I remember seeing the the 45, it was a 45 RPM and the orange label in the middle of it going around and around and around and listening to it over and over, just being so chilled by this, that it was real. And that like the structure of the song is just two lines, two rhyming lines over and over and over. There's no hook, there's no chorus. And like, it gave you the willies listening to it because you never got insight into this kind of thing. And so that was what drew me into Gordon Lightfoot. Um, so I, there's, to me, there's like a real mystique around him um, that he kind of gives insight into some dark things. Sometimes you don't want to deal with, but that are important. Yeah, that's really good. And uh, yeah, thank you for sharing. Nate, this album specifically, when you listen to Sundown and prep for this uh, this episode, what kind of yeah. stood out to you? Well, I am totally opposite of Doug and Maddie in that I couldn't have named a single Gordon Lightfoot song before we started this podcast wow. to save my life. I um, did not listen to him from utero to adulthood uh, <laughs> every night before bed. I was not um, a awkward prepubescent listening to him for the first time. Um, and um, 
this album, he's obviously amazing, right? Uh, and this album is fantastically good. Um, what the sense that I got overall listening to, to Gordon Lightfoot was like um, a clear, beautiful night um, where the sun is going down in, in the late fall and all the trees are changing colors um, and it's beautiful, but you know, it's a beauty that's about ready to give way to, to winter, to cold, bleak death. Mm. Um, and I think that's for me, what Gordon Lightfoot is all about. It's like, there's this beautiful moment that he captures in the recognition of seasons changing and time is fleeting. And there's certainly a, a melancholy or a sadness underneath but it's so yeah. starkly beautiful, um, the, the images and the pictures that he paints. Um, the other thing I love about him is so many singers um, that are popular uh, nowadays have these soaring tenor voices and sometimes even up into like an alto register. Uh, and, and Gordon Lightfoot is a, is a baritone. He, he, is a, uh, he is not a... Uh, high uh, singer. He's not a falsetto singer, but he's got this gorgeous, rich kind of brass. Um, he's got that fast vibrato um, that, that colors things. And it's just, um, it's like putting on a warm blanket. I don't know. It's just like, it feels a little honey dipped, you know, it feels like, yeah. oh yeah, this is um, so, so right. You know, I, I think this is, um, this is an incredible album uh from the very first you know lead lines in somewhere usa in the beginning i'm like oh yeah i can mm -hmm. groove to this it's like it's comfy it's cozy um and there's some there's some really interesting stuff going on musically uh i have been listening to this album with headphones and they're doing some cool stuff with the stereo uh and the in the transitions from what what is being played in one ear and what's being played in another uh, there's a, a lot of really cool stuff like that, that if you immerse yourself, you kind of pick up on more uh, of what's going on in the album. Yeah, I, I love this. I love this album. One of the things I was thinking is um, when you talk about his voice, like I was thinking um, the, the instrument I thought of is a bassoon. <laughs> mm. And like, you don't want too many of those <laughs> in an orchestra, right. but one is great. And mm, he's like, yep. yeah. He's got that bassoon, bassoon, like in this, you know, where where vocals or violins or, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rich acoustic guitars. He's got a bassoon, mm -hmm. and you just you got to use it right. And and that was his gift, is he used it the right way. Yeah, I'll say that this album really um, jumped off at me, even just like with the first time listening. Uh, similar to Nate, your last point, I thought uh, one. The one one of the things that we've talked about a lot on the show is just the accessibility of some of these artists and like you know especially with time and with styles, uh, some of the artists that we've covered are going to be more difficult for youngsters my age to get into in 2020. But I thought this one for sure felt like the um, most produced album that we've we've right. you know covered. It's definitely the most polished, and that again similar to what you said. Right when Somewhere USA, right when his voice just comes in, I was like, oh, wow, this one's like really, really polished and well done. You could just hear that almost instantly. 
Um, but what I similarly loved, as you guys also were kind of pointing out, was just like his vocal phrasing and just the way he enunciates different words. He'll hold on to different syllables and he'll throw a staccato on one and then really pull on another one. And uh, you find that to be like really consistent through all of his songs. That's just how he sings. Um, and I just really like that. It, it, it made his voice again unique. It made it stand out to me. Um, and yeah, I have really, really enjoyed listening to this album in particular. So with that, let's move into just talking about some of our favorite tracks on the album specifically. If we can look at some of these different songs as individuals, um, Dougie, we can start with you. Did you have a, a just a couple of songs that you know really that you've uh, liked, you know, from when you're listening to it, or maybe some of them gave you uh, a fresh. You get once you gave it a fresh listen, you liked them more. Now, what were some of those? Yeah. Well, Nate was talking about the experience he had when he listened to this about you know the fall day and like knowing winter's coming and um, <clears throat> pretty much just you know reciting back the Seven Islands fleet theme, <laughs> like being in this place uh, that's awesome and beautiful and a great place to be able to fade for those who want to fade away. Um, you know that that feeling of. Uh, being in a beautiful place, knowing that time is uh, not forever and knowing that if you want to fade away um, and just be peaceful, here's a place. So that one, that one struck me. Um, Carefree Highway um, is, is always a favorite. <clears throat> and around the same time, um, John Denver had a song. I had to get John Denver in. Um, <laughs> Please Surrender that also talked about a highway taking him away. Um, and they were similar times. And, you know, we think of our period of time being the most traumatic and turmoil, you know, with the most turmoil, but uh, President Nixon had resigned. It was a, it was a pretty horrible time back then too. And there was yeah. a lot of protests going on and there's a sense of, um, you know, that worked its way through music that said, I need to get away and I need to just go away. And like you get, you know, I resound with that. I, I do. I'm I'm at the beach right now trying to find that carefree <laughs> highway. Um, and then the you know the last one. There's a reason why Sundown is the granddaddy of of Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, I don't. Has any of you guys ever heard the story of that song? Like, are you familiar? He was living with a woman in in uh, Canada named Kathy Smith, and they were they he rented this house and he was just writing trying to write songs for this album. And um, th things weren't going well in the relationship. And, and there was a, a night when she said, you know, I just want to go to town with some of my friends. And he kind of knew she was, he had imagined that he was, she was going to cheat on him. And so she left down the, his, his back stairs in this rental place. And the more that night he thought about her and what she might be doing, and uh, he got more and more jealous. So he started to, to put this uh this song down about that feeling and he says you know ultimately like this this song wasn't so much about her it was about him um and uh you know all of the imagery is like uh he talks about um you know I, I, it bothers him when he feels better when he's feeling no pain like the way he gets rid of it is getting drunk um and uh so they end up like after he wrote writes this song he's like you know what we need to end this and I'm okay with it. And they did. Um, she's the one that went on to inject the, the lethal shot of heroin into John Belushi's 
harm. Um, and if you don't, John, uh, Maddie, look up who John Belushi is. Um, I did. Yeah, I saw something about like this. Yeah, yeah. she's she served 15 months in prison for doing yep. that. Yep. Yeah. And so for me, that this song is haunting enough. And the thing about Lightfoot and all like really good uh, folk artists, sometimes they have really specific lyrics like uh, Edmund Fitzgerald, but other times they have just vague enough lyrics that you kind of go, huh, what? So when you listen to this, it's like, what in the world is he talking about? But then when you read the story, it's like, oh man, I've been jealous. I've written my own stories about a relationship and what might be happening. I, you know, I can deal with, so it takes this really dark song and, and honestly makes it darker, but you can feel it. And the best songs are for the ones you feel. So that one continues to be the most uh, impacting for me on this one. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that one was just, I really loved how he personified sundown, the, the art of, you know, night coming and uncertainty coming. Uh, making that an actual person I thought was really well written as well. Madison, what were some tracks that stuck out to you? Um, well, I didn't know that story, so that was really interesting to learn. Thanks, Doug. Um, <laughs> but I also am a big fan of Carefree Highway, and I just love how he kind of ties in um, like the when he's talking about dreams at the beginning and then later on in the song, he talks about his dreams again. And he says at the beginning, like he's picking up his um, like shattered dream singular. And then later in the song, he's like, he's picking up the fragments of his sleep shattered dreams or dream shattered sleep. Sorry. Um, So like at the beginning, I don't know, you get this feeling of like, you know, a dream that didn't come to fruition or like a dream that just wasn't really, you know, it just didn't come through. And it's a broken dream. Um, and then towards the end of the song, you get this impression of like, you know, a dream shattered sleep. Like you can't sleep through the night because of all these dreams you're having. Mm. But then also like, how many more dreams do you continue to have in your life that like maybe don't, I don't know, come true, right? Mm. Or mm you know, maybe one dream doesn't come true early on in life. And then you kind of regret it later on in life and kind of think to yourself, like, what would have happened if I would have seen that thing through? So um, I do love that song, but I also love um, Watchmen's Gone. Um, It's a very um, catchy tune, but also I love the sense of like, it sounds like in the song to me, he's talking to someone else and kind of giving someone else this advice, like, if you want to, you know, follow the golden sun, or like chase the golden sun, you know, just beware of the watchman, like, and you get this feeling of like, someone's always watching, you know, and there's always kind of like, we, I don't know, are always kind of under the eye of someone or under the influence of something. And I think that um, in the song, he's kind of talking about like escaping that, and yeah. kind of like being a drifter of senses of sorts, I guess. And I like that in the song, he's kind of giving advice. Like if you wanna follow the golden sun, like you can, but just beware that like the watchman's always about and he's, you know, kicking people about. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that's a fun one. 
Yeah, I do like that one. And then one that I kind of like didn't like at first, but then the more I listened to it, I was like, I actually really like this is Circle of Steel. Mm. And I don't, I honestly didn't like it because at first it sounded very medieval to me with like the flute in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this just really isn't my vibe, I guess. The little like flutey melody at the start. But the more you listen to the lyrics and like what he's singing about, you know, like Christmas time, everyone's in step with the season, like it's a happy time and deck the halls, you know, and it's a time of giving and a time of joy and family. But he also um, paints this parallel of like a single mom who's like struggling with a child who's like born in welfare and like yeah, it's a happy time. But like, I think what Doug was talking about earlier, um, like one of the themes of the whole album is like the plight of, you know, the common man or like the hardships we face in society. And I think this song kind of um, paints like a contrast between the two. Like, yeah, we can have like Christmas spirit and like the happy times and, you know, joyful time. But then there's also like, you know, people are facing hardship and it always isn't like happy for everyone, you know? And mm. I think, I don't know. So the more I listened to that song, I was like, okay, I can get past the flute. Yeah. That's <laughs> good. That's good. <laughs> it's also a very sad message, you know? You know, yeah. so, so Maddie, tell me this. Th this is one of those where I'm trying to figure out what some of his lyrics mean. Rose of Lights in a Circle of Steel. What is he talking about? Like, I don't what is that? When I like thought of Circle of Steel and the, I listened to the song a few times and I was like, I get the whole like, you know, a child's born, the mom, yeah. like, you know, facing all of these like life circumstances. It's hard. It's difficult. But I was like, Circle of Steel, like, is it a city, you know, like buildings made out of steel? Yeah. Um, or is it like she talks about um, the child's dad being away? He's like doing time for. Yeah, that's what I thought. Is he in prison? Is that yeah. like, are they outside of the prison? And I they're looking know. up at like this circle of steel. And then they talk about these lights flickering down, like windows flickering down, almost like they're above you. And maybe he's looking out at them. And that's how they're like spending their Christmas. Yeah. When you think I about that, it's like, oh, golly. Yeah. Very that's like stark. And I didn't think of it that way, but I did think of like, jail because like you think of steel and bars and yeah, yeah but i don't know that it could be that too um you guys have any idea on that i don't know i thought am i taking you off the path here Tyler? no no you're fine you're fine that uh circle of steel specifically was uh one of my top three favorites of this album i i and i'm also with madison on like the flute at first i was like oh this kind of sucks <laughs> but um <laughs> but the uh but the song was so good um and i think that first verse or that first yeah the first verse specifically there i think uh is the juxtaposition to the welfare case with the child i think the the circle of steel is a roulette wheel right like the it says the it says the circle of steel where you place your bets on a great big wheel so you spin it it's the red and black flickering around you throw your dice in and so i think that's like the juxtaposition to the impoverished family that's like 
the gluttony of society of like we're all gambling we're having a great time we're singing we're it's christmas you know that time you're all together you're you're gambling having a good time that's how i heard it yeah well and i thought that too tyler it was like um more of like it's just the luck of the draw like some people spin and they uh, end up getting like a life of comfort and some people are born into poverty and it's like you can tell yourself that it's because you worked hard or that, you know, whatever, but like basically at the end of the day, we're all just at the whims of like this kind of random wheel of fate um, that spins and gives us the allotment that we'll get. Yeah. You know, that's what I love about a good writer. And, and, you know, I think of James, like James Taylor has a lot of songs that are just love songs or whatever, but some of them it's like, I need to talk to somebody about this. Mm -hmm. I need to figure out what, what this means because I don't, uh, I don't know. And then it, it, it invites the, it's like poetry that it invites the reader to fill in the lines and it, it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that's why, um, yeah, I thought like, cause it just bounces back and forth with like, you know, the both sides of the holidays, like Madison was explaining. And I thought it really, I, I'll take a stab here. I thought that song really painted a picture of Les Mis for me. Did anybody mm. get that vibe? Yeah. Or just like yeah. uh, <laughs> the musical Les Mis of just the two sides of society. That's what that really painted. Yeah. yeah. You know, another, like some context from a, a guy that was around in the set, early 70s. Um, you know, you talk about the flute, the hippie movement, a lot of hippie movement was kind of a, they they fancied themselves to be returning to the Renaissance. And so you saw them wearing flouncy shirts and the guys wearing flouncy shirts with buttons and you like the long hair with bangs, you know, and the, the flute and the medieval thing was like a flower child. Um, Hmm. Like for, for him, that might've been a way to, 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 this is kind of a protest song. It's not a protest song, but it's a, it's a commentary. Yeah. So the flute where you guys, it's like, you. For this, like for this guy, you know, who's a Canadian and did do some protest songs that got banned, um, he he might have been appealing to a group of people who, um, and maybe not, maybe he just liked flute, but he was he might have been a, you know, appealing to a, a movement of people who were like, mm. hey, down with the man and up up with the 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 little man, and and we need to, you know, to solve some injustice here, and that that was um, that flute was very contextually comfortable for them just so you know yeah that's good that's good insight good insight nate what were a couple of your favorite songs from the album well um it stinks to go last because i liked all the songs everybody already said um but two other songs that i liked in addition to the ones that doug and maddie uh, point out i do like somewhere usa i like um an outsider's perspective on the landscape of the country and the like the different places you might find yourself and i also like a uh, seven island suite um i like you know uh, doug mentioned this at the beginning that there are these songs about travel and transition uh and and a song that's not on this album uh but a hugely famous song of his is the canadian railroad trilogy um just these songs of um, not just travel for the sake of leisure, but like migration 
and leaving a place and, and settling roots in a new place. Um, you know, again, back to that comment that Doug made, that's the, that's the real hallmark of, of actual folk mm. music, right. Of being tied to a place. Um, and then when you're uprooted from that place, whether you are choosing to, to go somewhere else for opportunities or you're driven from that place, these kind of haunting songs of home and the, and the voyage that was perilous and the, and the new opportunities, but the new opportunities, but also the new challenges you're fit. Like all of that is, is very meaningful. Um, I, I read recently that 80% of humans stay within an hour of where they're born. Mm. Um, like for their whole life. And I know that we always think that the world is smaller and everyone's moving all the time. But I think actually uh, most folks are staying relatively close to where they grew up. Um, mm. And we can all think of exceptions to the rule, of course, but that's what they probably are, they're exceptions. And to think about that, to think about um, trying to, to catalog music about the um, really soul-wrenching process of uprooting and traveling. Um, I don't know that, that that necessarily came through specifically in any of those songs, but I just, the sense of that in his music overall, um, I really think is, is pretty powerful. I think Somewhere USA is the one I thought I, if you could give it to Zach Brown now and have him do a little bit of the Caribbean thing yeah. or Jimmy Buffett and it, they, it would fit right in. It would yep. be perfect. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I think those are all good, Nate, uh, and, and everybody else. You guys kind of also took some of mine. Like I said, I love Circle of Steel. Uh, Seven Islands is probably my favorite song on the album. I loved, oh my gosh, I loved, I thought the highlight of the entire album is like the bridge in that song where he brings in that four-part harmony and it just like screams Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, right? The, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this song is some of the best stuff I've ever heard. I love that so much. Um, and then I would say my last favorite um, was the second to last song called The List. Uh, mm. That song, it was so catchy. It was so fun. I love just the walk down on, on the guitar. Um, and just like the, I have a little room on my list. You want to fill it in? I love that. Like that's the, I just thought that's just such a fun little lyric and just a, such a catchy little song um, compared to like after, again, like it's the second to last song. So we just listened to an entire album of like uh, rather ominous overtones, right? And this one's just like, hey, let's, uh, let's just have a good time. And uh, I really liked it. I thought it was great. I, I think some other context on that, I mean, not context, but like just un remembering the times, like yeah, it is, fun and it's also really trashy um like yeah. he's pretty thin. Yes. i got i got time for you if you want to have one if you want to do this tonight i can oh. do it and and this was a day when like people hooked up different than they do today i mean maybe they didn't but it, it was a different like that today would in some genres would be sort of uh like you know you can't even sing um maybe it's cold outside anymore um so so like to say hey i've got room on my list you wanna would be pretty <laughs> provocative unless you know some genres you, you you have to have that or it's not part of the genre but um i think that's the thing it kind of it's re it's nonchalant 
it's like about yeah. non sex it's very casual i wasn't going to go into that i just wanted to say <laughs> let's just have a good weekend but uh, yeah that's what it no that's no that's oh, what it is tyler you sweet the, summer child uh there's a little song on my list tonight you want to make it rhyme i love it i just think it's the fun i just think it's such a fun little song it's very uh, cheeky it is yeah. i just it's think not, that okay, yeah. he he could totally pass for um what's the character that brian cranston plays yes That's in it. uh walter white is that the guy in uh oh, yeah. breaking bad yeah. yeah i've been thinking he looks like brian cranston the entire <laughs> process there's a there's a picture of him on one of his albums where he's just like got the aviator glasses and he's just like looking and it's like if you would have put brian cranston in there yes. no one would have known the difference at all <laughs> Uh, I, I think, kind of like, a, go ahead, Doug. Well, I, I think um, my my perception of of Gordon Lightfoot until more recently was like he's a, just a badass. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like he like he's a guy that would like he's a Clint Eastwood type. Yeah. But then when you start to look at his lyrics and especially some of his earlier ones, um, what Tyler? What's that one you and I were just talking about? Uh, the la- when I saw you last the last time i saw her yeah i saw her my goodness it is so poetic it is so um not badass that it's like oh this guy like yeah he's there is a very soft gooey center to this guy that that he doesn't let us see right up i'm sorry i said badass no it's okay it's okay ever listen i shouldn't have said it that's that's uh I think that's I think that's very fair. I thought the Brian Cranston point was very spot on. I had the exact same thought this whole time. Madison, do you have any uh anything else just interesting or something you wanted to share? I think I also some of my favorite songs of his don't actually come from this album. And some of my favorite songs of his do lean more towards like that softer, gooier side of yeah. him, you know, where he's a big softie. Um, and I just love how like I love the sadness in some of his songs, especially his songs about love. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to like Nate, you were saying like a melancholy sense. And like, sometimes we do like crave or we do like to feel that sadness a little bit, you know? And I think his songs, um, I think like, uh, looking at the rain is a good one that I love. Um, and you do get like a little softer sense from him there just about like his feelings of love and like what it's like to love and like lose you know um but those are my my top songs of his like yeah. the ones that are painting this picture of like heartbreak but also like better to have loved than lost you know mm. yeah mm. that's good i feel like he sings about completion like um the the end of things whether it's a, a journey or a relationship or hmm. um it, it feels like there is um and the other thing um that i really like about him is he's a different songwriter than any of the other songwriters we've we've done at this point because a lot of times songwriters are writing beautiful music beautiful lyrics um, but they don't necessarily, apart from the music, stand on their own as as poems proper. Mm. But Lightfoot's work does. Like mm. he he is truly a poet, putting poetry to music 
Hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think that, um, there's, there's the, this sense about it that, um, it's just very rich. It's like bone broth. It, It feels very like this took a while to cook down and it's very nourishing. Yeah. to to the soul yeah yeah i told uh my wife that in the couple of weeks leading up to this episode i have went on this you know whirlwind of a ride because like i said i heard his name once like five years ago for madison completely forgot he existed started doing this project this summer and started listening to his music this last couple of weeks and i i have seriously fallen in love I've listened to so much of his music now outside of this record um, and have just spent like exclusively, I've just been diving deep on some Gord music. Um, and the thing that I really loved about this album specifically is that like, it really stands alone uh, in my opinion when it comes to his um, discography as a whole, simply because one, like I said, I think it's super well produced. Uh, but it's one of those, um, it's a top to bottom, like each song is good album. Um, and, you know, when you think of like some of these older artists, some that we've covered, others that we haven't, you know, that I grew up listening to with my grandparents, they're producing so much music. Like it's 2020, they're still releasing records. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot literally released a record this year. Yep. Um, so like they're, they're, their catalogs are so expansive. Um, and, you know, even some like the biggest names, you're just pulling select songs from each of their albums, right? Um, there's no way, you know, every, there's no way mega fans are going to know every single one of their songs. And I think that's the case with Gordon Lightfoot, um, that yes, he, his entire career is just scattered with great, great work. But this album specifically is like, each song is good. You can pluck it out and say, this was a, objectively a good song. And the fact that they were all pulled together on this one album uh, was just so enjoyable for me to listen to. I know last episode I said um, that I really loved that Jim Croce album, uh, which is obviously still super good, but like this one has now superseded it. This is my favorite album we've done so far. Every week we're like, this is our favorite album so far. We just love this music so much. I'm just so, I just have been so geeking over Gordon Lightfoot. And uh, yeah, it's just been a great, it's just been great music to listen to. Can I share one more thing? Yeah, please. Wish you would. Do we have one Oh yeah, we got time. All right. Tyler will Uh, edit it out if it stinks. Sorry, I I just, like, I, I, I felt the need to say this about Gordon Lightfoot. Um, the song, If You Could Read My Mind, Love, uh, or If You Could Read My Mind, I think is um, is his signature piece. Um, what I leave, when I, when I listen to Gordon Lightfoot, and Maddie, you tell me, like, you listened to him as a little kid. I feel like he, like, he says, he says a lot. He pours out his heart. But at the end of the day, he's like, you don't know me. And mm. you can't get inside like who he really is. And that if, if you could read my mind is this him trying to say, like, if you could get inside of this, you would see this hero. You would see this poetic, um, you know, epic character. But I can't let it out. And I can't let it out. And I like that whenever I listen to his stuff, as much as I've listened to it, I feel like. I just, I don't know you. And your songs are just vague enough that you're not letting me in. 
and you look at his um, his his love life. <laughs> you look at his life in general. And it's not un- unlike a lot of people's, but it's pretty much like yeah, nobody ever could quite get in there. So I think that's um you know that's kind of what we're seeing in his music trying to come out. He just I, I don't know, Maddie. Did you feel that way at all, or do you feel like you know him intimately? No, I mean. I think I got the same sense from that song because he's saying like, if you could read my mind, like my thoughts would tell like this grand saga, you know, like this big tale. And I think that's very true because his lyrics are so, like someone was saying earlier, you can feel his music and you can feel his lyrics. And that's one thing I love about him so much. And you can think like very introspectively when you listen to his music and um, you know, the stories that he tells in some of these songs, but also it's like just deep enough to get you to be introspective about like what he's talking about or what you're feeling in your life, but like not deep enough to know like quite the struggles and like how, I don't know, yeah. how struggled. That, yeah, exactly what I'm feeling. I think you guys are really spot on with what you're describing there. Uh, and he kind of reveals that same thing. Like if you continue that line, he talks about if you could read my mind, I'd be like this hero in this great story. Right. Um, But then he ends that verse with, but you won't read that book again because the ending's just too hard to take. Exactly. Like he paints himself up and then he's like, but also (laughs) you're you're not going to read the story again. Yeah. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to yeah. leave you. You're going to get so close and then I'm going to leave you and you're never going to know me. And that's how he leaves me feeling as a listener. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. I think, I mean, that's powerful as, as a writer. And we can obviously talk about, which we all have just, you know, how fun the music is, how, how intricate some of the production things were, um, you know, just how creative he is with his vocal medleys and, you know, the way that he's able to phrase his, his words I'm so as a musician, I'm saying he's top class. Um, but as a writer, man, he's so he's he's creative. He's so creative and he's just vulnerable enough. Um, and that's I think is what made his music last. So um, yeah, that's a really good point, Dougie. Thanks for bringing that up. So as we finish up this conversation, uh, we'll end it with the question that we end with each of our episodes here and it's where we're asking if if we should still be listening to his music today um and should kids my age in their 20s and below in the year 2020 um is it worth a listen with with gordon lightfoot madison we'll start with you what do you think i think um it's definitely worth a listen and i think that his music can kind of I don't want to say transcend time. That sounds a little cheesy, but like, I do think that a lot of the stuff that he's written about can definitely be applied to like the things that are happening today in society, you know? Mm. Um, But also he just, you know, he writes some songs that are very relatable just about like the ordinary man, like wanting to, I don't know, getting the sense of like wanderlust or like drifty kind of, but also like love and what it's like to, I don't know, be loved and heartbreak and things like that. And so I think there are very, um, you know, they're very grounding themes, something that like most humans experience. Um, But I think he's definitely worth listening to um, because 
I think he makes you think and it's not just like I feel like some music today can be a little abrasive like we were talking about um the list earlier it's more like Nate was saying like cheeky but um it's more like illusiony most of music is whereas today I think I don't know some music is more abrasive and I don't know I think he just tells really good stories in his music and it's worth listening to yeah that's really good well said uh Dougie what's your thoughts um well yeah obviously I I do think there's value to you all and younger listening um to his music to Gordon Lightfoot's music um but I'm not but I'm not sure what the appeal would be you know we're all nerds uh we are but I think that um like like that's part of the uh, why people should listen to it and and like it's it's a little bit of work to listen to his music and to hear like he's he's showing you a picture of history sometimes when he talks about trains and when he talks about travel and he Mm -hmm. talks about leaving and migrating and he's talking about the hard life of people um he's showing us um history like this is what a man you know from our from your grandparents um era was like and this is what masculinity was like and that's real like in in good or bad it's something we should know about yeah but also just like the the difficult and awesome puzzle of poetry like it's a crossword puzzle it's a word search that you have to solve and then you have to think and you have to be like be okay with the intimacy of putting yourself in that place and those are those I you know I sound like the old fella here but those are things that we just have lost the time for mm. like we want I mean what like we listen to WAP or WAP or <laughs> no we don't that's <laughs> <laughs> no, but our culture like that, that's gotten a lot of that's gotten a lot of play and you know it's art yeah but like it's not it doesn't force the introspection you know, um, I won't go on forever, but it, it, you know how it's better to read a book than to watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Gordon Lightfoot's music is a book. And a lot of our music since then is a movie. It colors all the, the colors in for you. Yeah. And um, we need to get back to the work of imagining and filling in the blanks and putting ourselves in the context and seeing history or masculinity from other people's eyes and so if if we take the time to do that i think it would be very valuable but i question whether we do the work no that's i mean that's a fair point that's a that's a good thing to to chew on yeah nate what's your what's your thoughts on this should we be should we be listening to gordon lightfoot i'm going to balance out douglas's very thought out eloquent reflection with a reference to the movie Dodgeball, uh, in <laughs> <Great> which <movie. laughs> Ben Stiller uh, indignantly says, nobody makes me bleed my own blood, uh, which has turned into a meme. Uh, and they've changed out the words, nobody makes me feel my own feelings. Um, and you ought not listen to Gordon Lightfoot if you want, don't want someone to make you feel your own feelings. Right? Yeah. Like... <laughs> He he tells his stories and somehow you feel your feelings through them. 
Um, and yeah, if you're willing to sit with it, it's a beautiful experience. But if you just want to be distracted or numbed by your music, um, then probably it's not, it's not for you. That's a fair, fair point. And I think I will end it with similarly that, uh, obviously I said that I really loved it and it's my favorite album that we've covered. So, um, in those regards, yes, I say that it's definitely worth a listen just because I think it's really, really good music for all the reasons that we've said. Um, so if you're interested in the music aspect of it or, you know, broadening your own personal library, it's definitely worth a, a valuable listen and an intentional listen. Um, but again, I think uh, even on the, on the lesser side, if you're just curious of, you know, what we were talking about here today, uh, I think the theme that we've just been talking about a lot is just his ability to write stories so well. And I just find myself, I know we've said that a lot, but there are so many of the songs on this album where like um, <laughs> you're listening to the good music, but the music is so good that like um, it almost comes secondary and I'm like driving in the car and I'm like putting myself in the scene, right? Like he paints it so well that I'm like, oh, I know the street we're on. I know the the building that we're at, right? The character, what they look like with the... And so I think just he was so... Uh, skilled at putting together these different pieces that built a very tangible scene while listening to it um and if if nothing else i think that should be intriguing enough to give this record a spin just because uh it's super entertaining and he just does a great job of again setting a movie type script um into a different format and i think that's a, a great skill to have And that's going to do it for us today, folks. Um, man, this conversation was just so good and so fun to have. And I just want to thank Madison and Doug from the bottom of my heart. Just thank you so much for taking the time to do this. And of course, Nate, you know I love you. Um, and just like what a great conversation this was centered around great music. And if you liked what you heard, we encourage you strongly to come back in a couple weeks for our next episode because it'll be our last episode of this season. Um, and so we are really excited to be joined with some new friends talking about a new artist. And we hope you stop by, because at least for this summer, when you're here, the forecast is always a high of 70s.